Our sermon text this morning is from John chapter 10, verses 22 to 42. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, You are God's? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father." Again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. This is the word of the Lord. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. While you're turning there, let's go ahead and pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you through your word again and again and again and again. We ask that you would draw our eyes towards you, God. Open up our ears that we might hear the voice of your Son calling to us, that we might know him, that we might follow him, that we might trust him. Wherever he may lead, God, may we follow him. The valleys are not too low and the mountains are not too high and the deserts are not too dry when we are with our shepherd. So God... Through your word, draw us to yourself, that we might know you, that we might love you, that we might trust you even more. In your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. 
The love of a father, the love of a father is enough to get you through anything. I've been in some really horrible, mostly dumb situations in life. And the key to getting you through that is mom's nice, but the love of a father will get you through anything. Go to the prisons, how many, okay, then aside. Go to the prisons, how many Mother's Day cards are being sent out? Tons. How many Father's Day cards are coming out? Hardly any. And as a father, what you will sometimes do is love your children directly. You will hold them. You will pray for them. You will sing with them. You'll wrestle with them. You'll joke around with them. But as a father, your love isn't just direct with your children, but your love also goes through your wife as well towards your children. She's the one that will, she's going to buy the presents. She's going to wrap them. She's going to make the cake. She's going to invite everybody over and she's going to do the presents and the party. And she's going to clean up afterwards. It's kind of the way it goes. Not because you're a derelict father, not because you don't care. But your love for your children is through your wife. You're the one that creates the atmosphere and the situation in which all of that is able to happen. Much of your love for your children is through your wife. Not because you're lazy, just because that's how it works. This is the same thing we see with God the Father loving us through Christ. It's what I want you to see in the text. God the Father loves you. And he loves you through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, what he does is ends up carrying out this eternal love of the Father. Jesus Christ embodies the love of God the Father. Jesus Christ demonstrates the love of God the, of the God the Father towards you. And the way that he does that is by holding you and preserving you and carrying you all the way to glory. So this is not just, the, the preservation of the saints is not just some theological category. This is the way in which Christ is demonstrating and working out the love of God, the Father that he has for you. That he loves you in such a way he will carry you all the way through. Not of his own volition, no, he's doing the will of his heavenly Father. That's what I want you to grab a hold of through this sermon. So what are we going to see that here? Verses 22... 30 in this first section we're going to see the love of the father through christ the love of the father through christ and that's going to be the, the bulk of the sermon after that verses 31 through 39 you're going to see the work of the father through christ not just the love of the father but then the work of the father through christ and then finally after that in the last three verses you're going to see the belief of the people in christ the love of the Father through Christ, the work of the Father through Christ, and then the people believing in Christ. Let's go back to the text here. Verse 22. At that time, the feast of the dedication took place at Jerusalem. And it was winter. And Jesus was walking in the temple, in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? 
If you are the Christ, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Again, John here is giving us some interpretive clues. We, we talk a little bit on every so often throughout the sermons of how to read gospel narrative. And this is one of the, the, the clues here. Pay attention to every word that is being said. So John is telling you that is now the Feast of Dedication. He's giving you the lens by which you can interpret everything that will follow. We had this in John chapter 6 when it was at that time of the, the Passover, Right? And then in this context, when John says it is happening during the season of the Passover, that Jesus Christ is leading people in the wilderness. Passover. He's leading them in the wilderness. He's the one walking on water, and he's the one feeding the people. And he says, I am the bread of life. The Passover gives you an interpretive framework in which to understand that. Same thing, the uh, Festival of Booths in chapter 7 was happening. When they would commemorate the God maintaining and leading his people for 40 years, 40 years of judgment, but God led them with a cloud and with a pillar of light. And then Jesus, at that time, opened up the eyes of the blind man when they're celebrating God leading his people by a pillar of light. And he says, I am the light of the world. See how the, these, these festivals in John, he's using them as an interpretive framework. So the festival of dedication is not in the Bible. Actually, it comes from, uh, it, well, it goes all the way back to Daniel. You can see some prophecies of it happening. So the Jewish people are in subjection to the, to the Greeks. And this man, Antiochus Epiphanes, comes in. And he goes to the temple. And he takes a pig. This most unceremonially unclean animal. And he puts it up on the altar and he sacrifices this pig in the temple. Takes the blood of the pig, scatters it around the temple. And then, according to some accounts, forced the high priest and some other priests to eat the flesh of the pig. Not surprisingly, right after that, you've got yourself a revolt and rebellion, Right? Judas Maccabeus, which is from the hammer, uh, Judah, Judas the hammer rises up, leads a rebellion. 40,000 Jews are killed. Another 40,000 are carried off into captivity. But eventually, they have their freedom. And they have pushed them aside, pushed the Romans aside, or the Greeks aside. And they go through, and this temple that was once desecrated is now uh, consecrated and brought back to God. They tear down the old altar, build a new one, clean it out. And they have enough oil for one day to do it. But God preserves that oil that was supposed to be enough to last for one day, preserves it for eight days. We still celebrate this as Hanukkah. So it's happening now in mid-December. You're four months away from the crucifixion. And he is here now during this, this time. And so the people are coming around him. Or, you know, you can see this. It's the time when Judas Maccabeus tore down the old altar and built a new one to the true, one true God. And in this context, the people are gathering around him and asking him, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the going to be the new deliverer? Shall you be the one that will bring us to our freedom? 
And notice their blindness. They say, if you're the Messiah, if you're going to be the one to deliver us, well, then just tell us plainly. It, it almost sounds foolish if it wasn't so sad, and it wouldn't be so sad if it wasn't so self-incriminating, actually. Christ has been very clear in telling them. John 5, truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord but what he sees his Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that Son, that the Son, he does likewise. John 7, he says, if anyone thirst, if anyone thirst, let him come and drink of me. John 8, he said, so if the Son has set you free, you are free Indeed. What they wanted was a simple declaration. Are you the Messiah? Yes or no. But Christ, what he's actually doing is giving them so much more. So what he can't do is say, yes, I'm the Messiah, and then allow them to import and interpret it through their own way. So likewise, if a, hus a wife asks a husband, let's say, do you love me? And he says, well, I got up and went to work. No, 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 I'm asking you, do you love me? And then he says, well, when all the buddies were getting together, I stayed home and fixed your car brakes. No, what I'm asking is, do you love me? And he says, sweetie, I've led our family and family devotions every night. We have, well, we missed one night this past month because the kids fell asleep on the way home. I carried them into the house, and if they were awake, I prayed with them. If they were sleeping, I prayed over them. You see what's happening? Is that the husband is not just saying, yes, I love you. He's shaping the understanding of what love truly is. So he's not going to just respond, yes, I love you, and allow the wife to see it in her own way. That's the same thing that Christ is doing. Are you the Messiah? Tell this plainly. Drink of me. I'm the living water. He's not going around it. He's shaping their understanding of what the Messiah truly is. Are you the Christ? I'll set you free. No, no. Are you the Christ? Tell me. But just walk in me. And you will be in the light. Drink of me and you will never thirst. He's telling them, yes, I am the Messiah. But he's shaping it in such a way that he is the one who's defining what that means. And unfortunately, they're like us. They see all of this. They hear all of this. And how quickly they just kind of push it aside. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but. No, no, no. God, if you're really there, then get me out of this situation. God, if you're really there, heal my loneliness. No, no. That's not it. We don't get to define. The Pharisees didn't get to define. And we don't get to define what Christ is as the Messiah. He's come to deliver us from far worse than we could ever imagine. So then, here, verse 25, Jesus answers them, I told you, but you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. He's shifting the focus from the conversation of, of not just his words and what he's professing, but his works and what he's actually doing. And that sets you up for this Psalm 82 that's coming up. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe. Why? Because you're not among my sheep. 
Their inability to see it and to believe was because they were not of the fold of God. They couldn't hear because they weren't of the sheep of Christ. Remember last week we were talking about you can't climb over the side of the pen. You must go through Christ and through Christ alone. Of course, they don't understand it. They're not of the sheep. Everything was right there before them. Everything. Messiah in the flesh. Eternal God in the flesh, right there before them. But they acted as though they didn't have enough evidence. Same thing, same problem I had growing up. Growing up in a good church, even. New Bible stories, could recite Bible verses. Lutheran kid with a staunch German pastor, so you, you were able to recite swaths of Luther's small catechism. I had all that, but I didn't have Christ. I didn't have him at all. But here is the work that Christ does in his Father's name. This is some of the most beautiful passages in all of scripture, in verse 27, read them with me. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. You don't hear me, you don't follow because you're not of my sheep. But my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Just, just look at it. My sheep. How, what is your identity as a follower of Christ? That's it, that you follow Christ. Say you are a follower of Christ. That is your identity. And you are not your own, but you belong to Him. My sheep. You're certainly nothing more, but you're certainly absolutely nothing less than a follower of God. And the world is going to press in you to try to conform you into their image, but don't buy into it. Your identity is in Christ and in Christ alone. And that is it. Your identity is in nothing else. You might have different stations of being a mother or being a father, but your identity is in Christ. And what do these sheep do? They hear the voice of Christ. The call of Christ has gone out. The word of God going out for the first creation in Genesis 1. And now here we see through Christ the calling out for not a, this first original creation, but a new creation that shall last forever. And the characterization of these sheep that are, find their identity in Christ, what do they do? How do they characterize? They listen. They hear. They hear the voice of Christ calling to them. You, are you listening? Are you listening to the voice of Christ? So subtly sometimes, so very faint sometimes, in the mix of other noises sometimes. But are you listening? Through Scripture, you want to hear Christ talking to you? Open up your Bible, read it, ingest it. It's sweet like honey.
Make it your labor to fill your mind and fill your soul. To fill your mind and to fill your soul with the voice of Christ. And neglect anything that gets in the way. Anything that might hinder you from hearing the voice of God. To following Christ. Let it go. Let it go. Nothing is so precious as following the voice of Christ. My sheep, they hear my voice, and I know them. This intimate love that the shepherd has for the sheep. We often think about our desire to know Christ more, but we rarely pause and think that he knows me. I labor to strive to know him through the reading of the word and other means, but I very rarely, if ever, pause and think that he knows me. All of my sin, all of my shortcomings, everything I want to hide from everybody else, he knows it. And he loves me through it. You are known by your shepherd. And he loves you. That is a good place to be. Listen to his voice. Follow him. And that's what you see here. Christ is, where is Christ leading them? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Where is he leading you? Sometimes it feels like in circles. But eventually, to the great celestial city in which you will behold all of the glory of God. Christ is not like a bee. You let a bee go and they'll make a straight line right towards their hive. Christ is going to take you on this long journey to shed so much of what you have that you're starting out with. He'll take you to the grass-filled plains where everything's flat, not exciting, but everything's okay. Then he takes you into the valley with the majestic oaks and the little water running through there and you can drink of the waters of Christ and be refreshed. And then you keep walking a little bit more, following the voice of Christ, walking a little bit more and you realize this firm ground's a little soft and then before you know it, you're in his slough. And what do you do? You get ever closer to him. You follow his voice all the much more. You won't let him leave your side. You cling to him. And through all of that, you stay ever more present at his side. And when you think you're going to sink, and when you think you can take another step, you look at him, and there you are, right on the mountaintops, enjoying the beautiful view of it all. And everything's amazing. And then you get that call, or, and then you get that text. And then there you are, back down in this deep canyon of despair. This is the path. This is not just a characterization of life. This is what it looks like to follow Christ. It's not a straight line, and that's okay. It meanders. It wanders. Just stay close. That's your job. He will lead you. And he will lead you there for your own good. For delight, for your own good. Sorrow, for your own good. 
And this is why you never have to worry. Verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Even though the darkness surrounds you and even the light of the moon and the stars is gone, yet you don't have to worry. You are safe. You are safe in the hands of God. If you are in Christ, you have eternal life, eternal life that is given to you by Christ. What, what could possibly happen? So when I'm anxious, either I'm, I'm doubting this, that it can happen, or I'm over-elevating everything else that's inconsequential, non-eternal. What could possibly happen to you, knowing that you're in Christ and your eternal life is secure? So when you're doubting, brothers and sisters, when you're doubting, know and trust that God has placed you into the hand of Christ and nothing will take you away because nothing's greater than God. Is someone going to undo the work of God? Absolutely not. Romans 8, Paul writes, You shall separate us from the love of Christ. When you're in the hand of Christ, what, what's going to separate? What's going to pull you out? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 38 of Romans 8, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor any present thing. One of you last night was on the phone with a brother in Christ whose son, sophomore in high school, died last Thursday. And this was the truth, the balm that one of you was able to share with him as he's weeping, as his life is crumbling all around him, to give him the reassurance that God has never let go of your son and God will never let go of you. I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, not even addiction, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will be able to snatch you out of the hand of Christ. And here's the truth that's undergirding it all. Is that Christ and the Father are one. It's, it's so beautiful, even in the, how it's set up grammatically. Christ and the Father, masculine, two separate people, are one, neuter, two people, same substance, are right there in the Trinity. It's all just bubbling out, beautifully flowing out of this verse. I and the Father are one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three separate persons, one substance. So beautiful. 
And remember from last week, our context of what Christ is saying, I am the good shepherd, that the people are longing for, waiting for, out of Ezekiel 34, when, Christ, or when the Lord says, thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. This is an act of, of God the Father. How is it being accomplished? Through Christ. So we've seen now the love of God the Father. It's, it's displayed. The word love isn't even there. You can search for it. It's not there, but it's quite evident that it's everywhere. The love of the Father is being carried out by Christ, that he's put you in the hand of Christ, and Christ is holding on to you through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, through his ascension back to the Father. Christ is holding on to you if you are in Christ, and he will never let go. It's the love of God the Father through Christ. Now let's look at the works. We're out of time. Halfway through the verses and just a couple minutes left. So what's their reaction? Verse 31. How do they react? Well, they react the same way that you and I did for years and years and years and years and years before we repented. Verse 31. The, the, the Jews, what do they do? They pick up stones again to stone him. Because they understand it. Jesus isn't just out there to get your vote. If he is Lord, if he is Messiah, he demands all of your life. They understand that. And if you're not going to repent, you better kill this man. Because of what he's demanding of me. And again, the focus is back on the works. Back on the works. And he did verse 32, he answers him. Stones in their hands. I've shown you many of the good works of my father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Why are you going to stone me? Why? Because I turned water into wine? Because I fed the 5,000? Because that man that was lame for 38 years, because I healed him, told him to pick up his mat and walk? What about the blind man? Would you rather have him still be blind? For which of these works are you going to stone me? And they say, well, no, it's, it's not because of your works. It's because you're blaspheming. God is God and man is man. They're like the, the, the meats and the cheeses. You, you don't mix them at all together. You keep them separate, right? If you're going to be God, then be God. If you're going to be man, then be man. But don't mix them together. And then Christ comes back with this kill shot. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are God's? In this psalm, Psalm 82, God is calling out to his rulers, not to his prophets who are speaking the word, but to his rulers and his judges, those who are doing, which is why Christ has been saying, my works, my marks, my works. He's been building up to this. God calls them in this psalm, he's saying they've been derelict rulers, but he's saying, didn't I even say that you are, you are God's? You are representative of my authority. You are carrying out my authority. I've given you my name to rule your people in my stead, as one of the commentators writes. What they're doing is wielding in this psalm, these rulers and authorities, they're wielding the delegated authority of God. So what Christ has set them up to say, are you going to reject scripture? This idea that God and man can be the same? 
Are you going to reject that? If you're going to reject your scriptures, then reject your scriptures. But don't say that you can reject me because these categories can't be the same. They can be the same, not in you, but the one who is divine. He can be man. So what do we do with all of this? Verse 38. Verse 38. But if I do them, all of these works, but if I do them, the works of my Father, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. What does this mean for you? Keep in mind that Christ is pleading with them as they're holding stones in their hands still. Christ is pleading with them. Believe, believe. So even for you, brother and sister, if you don't believe, if it's, it's understandable. If the words of Christ are too much, if it's beyond your comprehension, that's understandable. That's fine. But don't just reject him because of that. Look at his works. No one's denying that he fed the 5,000. No one's denying that he healed Jairus' daughter. No one's denying that he walked on the water. No one's denying that he healed the blind man. No No one credibly denies that he actually rose from the dead, that he was crucified and rose from the dead. So even if you can't believe all the claims of Christ, what about you? If you don't believe, just look at the works of Christ, that he has done all of this, Isn't that enough to place a little less faith in yourself, a little less hope in yourself, and a little more in Him? If you can take it wholesale, start there. What is the resurrection? Because the resurrection is true, what does that mean about me and my life? What does that demand of me? Start there. If you are in Christ... Go back to these verses. Just rest in the sovereign goodness of God. Look at verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish in no one. Anything? No, nothing. Poverty? It's not going to take you out of the hand of Christ. Don't worry about it. Addiction? You'll get through it. Nothing will take you out of the hand of Christ. I remember we were hiking. Uh, One time we were hiking the Smoky Mountains with our son Judah. He was maybe five. We turned the corner. It was just me and him and uh, Blythe was on my shoulders. And we make the turn. The path was wide. We make kind of go through a bush and it came out. And the wide path had gotten about this narrow. And I didn't want to panic him. But I said, Judah, just calm down. And he goes, what? I'm over here. And he turns and steps. Mountain on this side, cliff on this side, and he begins to fall. Thankfully, by somehow by the grace of God, I could kind of see it in my mind's eye. I take one step, two step, life, grab her, shove her towards the mountain, reach out with my left hand as Judas falling off the cliff, and I grabbed him. And I had him. And there was certain death below him. 
but he was in my hand. And nothing at that point was going to take him out of my hand. I pulled him back upon the path. We wept and we walked back to the car. If that is the grip that you can have for your son, how much more shall Christ have you, his own son, his own daughter, in his own hand? He will never let go. Even though your body might be wasting away with cancer, God, Christ, will never let you go. Rest in that. Rest in the hands of Christ, the sure hands of Christ. If your depression continues to be around, darkness around you, just rest. Rest in the sure, loving hands of Christ. Or if you live with this sense that you never have and you never will, do enough. Rest. Rest in the hands of Christ. And the beauty of, that we have in Christ is that heaven has come down to earth. And because of that, we can have spiritual rest because he has declared that it is finished. It's done. It's finished. So now what we can do is go and rest in the love of God in the hands of Christ that has been brought to you through Christ. Let us pray. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We adore you. We love you for all that you have done and accomplished through your Son. And we ask that you would let us delight in the fact that you love us in such a way that your Son is holding on to us and he will never let us go. Not even one, not one through the annals of time has been lost for whom your Son has died. God has let us delight in the fact that our identity is not in ourselves, but in the fact that we are the sheep following the Good Shepherd. Let us take rest in the fact that He is holding us and will keep us, into which the time we see your love and we see you face to face. Amen. Amen.